0: One person's truth and another person's truth isn't necessarily the truth. The truth is the whole coming together to provide a complete picture of whatever it is, whether it's a person or it's an event.
1: Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello,
2: and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci, and today we are going to take a little journey into the past, and we are going to revisit the life of a very popular TV star from the era of the late 60s and early 1970s. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the star of Hogan's Heroes, Bob Crane. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, Hogan's Heroes was one of my favorite shows. And to be honest, I didn't even remember the specific years that it was on television. And judging from the fact that it was on from 1965 to 1971... I am now convinced that when I was watching Hogan's Heroes, I was obviously watching syndicated reruns of Hogan's Heroes, which, by the way, continue to be aired to this day, more than 50 years after the show first hit the airwaves. And our guest today, who I've invited to share with us, is Carol Ford. Now, Carol is the primary author of the book, Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography. And along with her co-authors, she is one of Bob Crane's official biographers. Now, Carol also has another business. She's the CEO and owner of the Carol M. Ford Productions, LLC, which provides individuals, organizations, and businesses with podcasting, voiceover, and video production services. And she currently produces several of her own podcasts, which you can check out Flipside, The True Story of Bob Crane, Ye Old Terror Inn, and The Hogan's Heroes Review. So clearly a dedicated fan. Carol Earned her BA degree with honors in English and Liberal Arts from Glassboro State College, which is now known as Rowan University in Glassboro, New Jersey. And she is senior at Director ed- of Editorial Services, an Editor, and a managing editor for Anthony J. Gennetti Inc., which is a healthcare association management, marketing, and publishing firm. But today, Carol is going to be talking with us about not only Bob Crane's life, but I think would be of particular interest for any of you interested in writing biography, she's going to share a lot about her process and how she and her co-authors went about putting this book together and really bringing Bob Crane's story to life, in a lot of cases, correcting the record of his life as well. So, really great stuff here for you today. Please sit back, relax, listen, and enjoy. Carol, welcome to the Author's Corner. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I have to tell you that when I first heard about you and being... One of the few official biographers of Bob Crane. It was an easy decision to want to invite you to be here today. I don't know how old you are, Carol, but anyone who's close to my age, which is 50 <clears throat> um, <laughs> 50, um, I grew up with Hogan's Heroes, right? I grew up loving the show. It was one of my favorite shows as a kid. And obviously Bob. Crane's very charismatic character was really the fulcrum of a great cast, by the way, but obviously he was the star of the show. And then it came back into my recognition shortly before you and I met. When I don't know if you saw the offer on Paramount. Oh, yes. But I never knew that Al Ruddy, who was the producer of The Godfather, Came up with it created Hogan's yes. Heroes. And we talk about totally different, yes, ends of a, apparently different anyway, ends of a spectrum. So then that made me already be remembering Hogan's Heroes again when I heard from you. So obviously, we had to have you here on the Ob- <laughs> Well, thank you. Normally, I do these shows with, there are two
0: other colleagues of mine that I want to mention, and that is Linda Groundwater and Dee Young, both of whom worked on the project with me. Linda Groundwater started the project back in the early 2000s. It took us a very long time to research his life. We did talk to Al Ruddy, by the way, and he actually actually reenacted the scene for us over the phone to Linda and me when we were interviewing him of how that pitch went down. So oh we actually gosh. got it from him directly, which, ah. which was really, really cool. I Linda actually loves going to going tell that my, story. Linda <laughs> loves that. My
2: head. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because that was a
0: great scene in the offer. Yes. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he is just as personable in talking to him as you would see in and how the offer was produced. So yeah, we talked to... Over 200 people, hundreds of people from Bob Crane's life, many from Hogan's Heroes, but also important people going as far back to grade school, his friends from grade school all the way through to the end of his life. We talked with many of his family members, including his son, Scott, his daughter, Karen, his cousins. His one cousin, Jim Senich, was a terrific supporter of the book and gave us so many insights into his growing up years in Waterbury, Connecticut, where he was born, but also going through Stanford, having radio careers, both of them did. And then also going into his radio career, the amount of work that Bob did in radio, people who worked with him in radio called him a radio genius. A lot of people don't realize the depth of Bob's radio career. And then, of course, into his acting career and Hogan's Heroes, and then into the 70s, And then up to the night he died. So we have worked very, very hard on sharing with people what we have learned, both through our book, which is Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography, but also through all of our work online and in podcasts. We have a very strong passion to continue to tell his true story because he has been very much misrepresented in the media and in film since his murder in 1978.
2: Okay. So let's back up because that really leads right into my burning question is, how did you even get started on Bob? Like, I I get it. I loved his work too, but really, really. I'm so interested in Bob. What, (laughs) What inspired you to want to know more about Bob? Sure. So everything,
0: this is a project that Linda and Dee and I did jointly. So, it was such an enormous undertaking that we often say that while it might have been possible for just one person to do a biography, people do that. Biographers write books about other people all the time. This one had so many moving parts. Linda Groundwater started the project back in the early 2000s and so
2: were were you and Linda already friends no we we, no we were
0: not we met online that funny thing called the internet and she and I both belonged to a Hogan's Heroes fan group and what really kind of brought us together was we both were writing some fan fiction which we like to do on the side because it's fun and it's light and I always say any writing is good writing even if it's just enjoying doing some fan fiction about your favorite show and there's loads of out there, but we met because we were both Hogan's years fans huh. and I had way back in the mid 80s, when I first discovered Hogan's Heroes, when I was about 14, 15 years old, I had learned that Bob Crane had been murdered. And you don't know all the details because you don't have the resources like we have today. It's just he was murdered and the crime was unsolved. And my 14 year old self went, that's terrible. That's awful. I love the show. I love Colonel Hogan. I wish I could find out more about who he is or who he was and all of those things. And so, me as a 14-year-old would go to the library and start looking up in the microfilm and microfiche rooms. You know, my friends were going to the movies. I was going to the library, and I'm like finding these little clips of Bob Crane and his death announcement and some of the headlines that were at that time when he died. And then, yeah, I had a little portfolio and a little notebook that I kind of built upon over the years. Fast forward to 2001, 2002... And Linda has joined one of the Hogan's Heroes groups that I belong to. And she says, I am currently researching for a serious biography about Bob Crane. And this was right after the film Autofocus had come out. Autofocus did a lot of damage to Bob Crane's memory. It is not factual. It wasn't intended to be factual per Paul Schrader, the director. But unfortunately, they took great liberties with his life to make a quote unquote, biopic that was distorted. Paul Schrader comes right out and says it's meant to be a distortion. It's not meant to be true or accurate. But people who go see that movie, they're going to walk away with what they see. Mm -hmm. So Linda was in the very early stages of reaching out to some people. Now, Linda lives in Australia with her husband, who was Australian by birth. Linda is American by birth. She was born and raised in New England. She is a radio journalist. And so she had those skills to reach out to people and make those connections. And as you know, Robin, that's a tricky thing. You have to have that wherewithal to be able to find the people, connect with the people and then interview people to pull things out of people. And so Linda had mentioned that on the group and I shot her a note on the side, an email, and I said, hey, listen, I would love to help in some way. This is very something that I've always wanted to do, but I would have had no idea how to start it. And so we joined forces a little bit before Linda and I connected Linda had reached out to WICC radio in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is where one of the stations where Bob Crane had worked. And that is where she connected with Young, who was, she is now retired, the station's assistant accounting manager. Oh, okay. and so she actually got started working at WICC in 1976, two weeks before Bob Crane came back to WICC to help the station celebrate its 50th anniversary. So she was a Nikki new kid, and he comes walking in down the hall, and oh, he's all wow. like big smiles, just as you would expect. And so she actually <laughs> got to meet him and say hello, and yeah, oh, cool. you know, she was a little low on the totem pole still, but she did get yeah. to meet him, and so yeah. she had that firsthand experience of meeting Bob. But what she also had was she brought all of that Connecticut radio connection along with Bob's cousin, Jim, to our research. And that's really how it got started. And then it just kind of fed itself. We worked very well together. We were working towards the higher cause, higher purpose of telling Bob's true story. We didn't know what we were going to get back, but we worked very hard and we got pretty much a, well, we got his true story and pretty much all of it a good chunk of it was good. Everybody has, we all have a little bit of, there are sides to everybody. But what primarily came back about Bob was how good of a person he was, despite his hangups.
2: Yeah. And so I'm curious, your official biographers, how do you get that status? Was this (laughs) granted by the family? So yeah,
0: so sure. We are his official biographers because we are supported, not financially, but supported in our efforts and endorsed by his estate and his family. So, his son, Scott, who is now the owner of the estate, and he oversees anytime Bob's name is used or his image is used outside of a production still, say, from Hogan's Heroes or whatever, he has the his lawyers reviewing all of that. So, we have... Scott's blessings on everything that we do. We have Karen Crane's blessings on everything that we do. We have extended family blessings on what we do. And that didn't come easy. We worked very, very, very hard to gain trust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that trust had been broken over the many years since his death because everybody kind of gravitates towards that negativity, towards the scandal, towards the murder. And you do a Google search online and his Wikipedia pages, is yeah, just this little tiny bit of, yeah, here's where he was born and grew up and here's his family and here's Hogan's years. And oh, let's go right into all the scandal and the murder and all of those things. And that's a lot of that was they don't want to just dwell on that. They don't ignore that those things happened. But to dwell on that—that's not what we were about—and they appreciated that. They knew th- that we were out for his true story.
2: Yeah. How far into the process did you meet the first family member? Tell me about that—that that encounter. Yeah. First encounter.
0: To back up, it like we started off with a few people here and there because it was such delicate ground. Mm-hmm. Jim Senich, Bob's first cousin, was the first person that Linda made contact with from the family and very early on. And he was all in. He wanted the public, he wanted people to know who his cousin really was, because what was being portrayed out in the media was very, very different than the Bob Crane who actually was. And I remember Linda telling me, in her early communications with Jim, that he was really upset because one of the shows that he loved was Frasier. Now, he passed away last year, towards the end of last year. But one of the shows that Jim loved was Frasier. And to give you an example of how it affects Bob's family, even to this day, is in this one episode of Frasier, Niles, and Daphne are, Daphne's pregnant, she's going to have a child and they discover it's going to be a boy. And so Niles and Daphne decide Uh that they're going to go into the phone book and they're going to point to a name and whatever he points to is going to be the name of the baby. Uh And they land on Robert or Bob. And so it's going to be Bob Crane. And all manner of hysteria breaks out. No, 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 no. We can't have that. We have to do this again. But before we do it again, we have to go through and take white out and white out all the Bobs in the whole phone book so that absolutely not are we going to name our child Bob Crane, the horror of horrors. And so, imagine being one of Bob's family members sitting there and watching your show, the show that you really enjoy on television, and this is how they're reacting to Bob Crane, just the name Bob Crane, which there are other people in the
2: world named Bob Crane.
1: (laughs) He's not the only one.
2: I mean, oh yeah, because Bob Crane with the full name. Yeah. Right. So, right. Because it's Niles Crane and Fraser Crane Crane on the show. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, yeah, I think his, seems a bit much for his. It's one thing to be roasted, yeah, but it's always done in such a sharp, harsh way. It's every he's the creep. He's a jerk. He's all of these things. And what we learned was that he had an issue that he was seeking to work on and overcome. But he wasn't the creep. He wasn't a jerk. He actually was a very caring and generous and kind person. People would say he was kind to those he worked with. He was kind to those he knew. Our book is close to 700 pages. And the reason for that is there was a lot of cleanup that we had to do. Here's what was originally said, and here's what we learned to be true. So, we had to say the incorrect thing and then say, here's what the real story is. But also... We had to corroborate everything. So if it's just one or two people say, "Yeah, he was a great guy," well, you know, okay, you know. But if you have Arlene Martell, who played Tiger on Hogan's Heroes, and then you have Cynthia Lynn, with whom Bob had an affair with, but also adored him, just adored him, also corroborating Inga Vegi, who worked on Hogan's Heroes. It's funny. People think Bob was running around chasing all the skirts. The one that they said you had to watch out for was John Banner. He was the hound dog on set. He was the one who was chasing women and doing kind of those things. But as going back to his family, Jim was first. And then the others came later. Some of the other cousins came along as well. There was Jane Ryfin. There was also Barbara Trembley. They were all first cousins. And so, they were very much interested in having their cousin, Bob, who they all knew as Bobby, their sweet cousin, Bobby, portrayed in the proper context without sugarcoating, but also not bashing no. or yeah. demonizing. Scott came next. And then he came many years later. But it was after we had also built up such a listing of people that had agreed to talk to us who had gone on record. I mean we had people from Robert Clary to Gary Owens to Cynthia Lynn and you know, Arlene Martell, Al Ruddy. You
2: know, we crack.
0: had some huge names in show business going, we had going into the Donna Reed era, we had we had Paul Peterson, we had who by the way did not care for Bob and that's okay. But we got his story too, because it's all about building the picture of a complete human being. We wanted to show that he was a person. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't the devil. He was a human being. He had faults. He had virtues, just like anybody. And that's where we came. And then Karen came on last after much consideration because she was very skittish. But after everyone saw the direction that we were taking, and how we were going about presenting Bob, and we weren't out to do damage, we weren't out to hurt anybody. We were just looking for the truth. We got the truth. And because of that, because of our integrity, we were able to
2: show his family that we were on their side, basically. Yeah. So, how many years was this process of research. How long? So. Did- <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of years. I mean, maybe we don't start <laughs> in the 80s
0: with the microfiche in, no, uh, no, no, no. in the library. But yeah. from the time
2: you met your... Linda
0: and Dee, Linda. sure. Linda started it in, I want to say it was around 2003. It was shortly after mm-hmm. autofocus. Mm-hmm. And we had connected. I had come on, Dee had come on. By about 2006, we were really Going strong. I was making, I'm in just outside of Philadelphia, and I was making almost monthly trips back and forth up to Connecticut to all of the areas to Stamford, to Bridgeport. Dee lives just outside of Bridgeport. So we were hitting the ground and we were sending out, and this is before Zoom. So we were sending out tons of emails, tons of snail mail. And we're also talking about some folks who they didn't have email. So, I was going through the Stanford alumni book, and I was going through and going through all of Bob's classmates from 1946 Mm -hmm. and sending them letters with, here's my address, here's my phone number. We weren't doing Zoom at all back in those days. I had my kitchen had like wires hanging all over it because I had the recorder and I had the phone set up. Linda being in Australia, we were sometimes juggling three. At one point, we had four different time zones going. So we were really, you know, ingrained in this whole process from about. Linda beginning it, me around two thousand five six, and then all the way through until we published it. Right up until we were publishing in twenty fifteen, the book came out on September seventeenth, twenty fifteen, which was the fiftieth anniversary of Hogan Heroes.
2: Oh, and also happens to yeah. be my birthday. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I know. I just noticed that on Amazon. I was like, oh. <laughs> so we had a
0: big push when the book was released. The book is published by my publisher, AM Inc. Publishing up in Massachusetts. He is an indie publisher, but he allowed us to do the book that we wanted to do. So he was very, we had a lot of conversations about how that was going to go, but he did see our vision and he did allow us to publish the book the way we wanted to publish it. I wrote the book. Linda served as an enormous because as you know, you can't really edit your own work. So she was That's my copy sure. editor. And so she <laughs> did a phenomenal job in the copy editing department. And D, of course, there with WICC, where in the early days, it would be, Carol, you want to go on WICC for 10 minutes? It'd be like, sure. <laughs> you know. True, and yeah. so, yeah, it was a long process. We continue even to this day to get some folks reaching out to us who now that they see the book and they read it and they know where we were coming from and how we were handling this Bob and his life story, reaching out to us and saying, Hey, I want to say my piece and so forth. And so Are we, we have, have been talking. <laughs> we have been talking about it. my publisher has told me anytime you want to do it, just let me know. So yeah, we do think about that and time is
2: <laughs> usually pretty yeah. short. Well, but I was just thinking thanks. like you have three of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And let's say working on it in earnest for yeah. nine, 10 years at least, yes. maybe more, 12 years. Yes. That's like 35 years of
0: work. It is. I got to tell that's, you, I mean, it was a labor of love. It truly yeah. was. All three of us have a very strong responsibility. Now that we know the things that we know about Bob, we have a responsibility to tell it and we have a responsibility to not just say okay we published a book and put that up and mark that down we keep it going and we have many many outlets to provide that we have a blog we have two podcasts we have a youtube channel we are very active on social media and we don't sleep very much but we do have a responsibility because we now serve in that capacity we've earned it and we treasure it and we honor it. I will say that when the book was launched, it's not been easy. I'll say that because Mm -hmm. people come at you with their preconceived notions about who they think Bob was because of the headlines and what they have heard about him for all these years. And so when I was at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, which is where I premiered the book, Scott Crane had allowed me to have the Hogan cap with me for my presentation. I will say, I'll give a little shout out to the Liberty Aviation Museum because they are now the official home of the Hogan Sears uh, props and uniforms display. So they now have the cap. That's a story in and of itself. Uh, (laughs) But that time, Scott still had the cap and the uniform. And so he let me borrow his dad's Hogan cap, 50 Mission Uh Crusher cap, for my presentation at the Mid-Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, And so when I was there, I had the table and I had my my books and signing them and, you know, talking about Bob and this one lady kept coming back to my table and, oh yeah, I I used to love that show, but I could never watch it anymore after I heard about him. And I said, come to my presentation at one o'clock on Saturday and maybe you'll change your mind. Well, I don't know. And so she would keep circling back around and I did not have the hat. Out on the table in the hall, in the vendor hall. That was kind of like the big surprise to I said I had a surprise. That was kind of a draw and so forth. So I had several bodyguards there, <laughs> keeping it safe because <laughs> I wasn't gonna lose that. Yeah, no, that's but, for sure. <laughs> my friend Cliff, my friend Brian. But so she kept circling back around and she kind of was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And eh. So the day of the presentation comes and I'm up at the podium and I give my presentation and I unveil that cap and oh, everybody is so excited and it is exciting. And I give my presentation and afterwards people come up to the podium and to ask questions, get a little bit closer to the cap and see it close up. And I saw the lady and I said, oh, I'm so happy you came. I said, and she was crying. And I said, oh, no, was I that bad? (laughs) And she says, and I'll never forget this. She says, you changed my negative perception of Bob Crane and given me my show back. Oh, wow. And we've had people tell us that over time since the book came out. And I can't believe it's been eight years. It'll be eight years this year. But to know that when people actually hear the truth and compare it to this other junk that they've been fed, Mm -hmm. they sit and they get a clearer picture. They can see him for who he really was and... It changes their minds are blown. They can't believe. And in all honesty, it's not that shocking. What's shocking is, is that he was a normal guy (laughs) and he happened to get murdered. He just happened to get murdered. And then things that he was not proud of, that he was trying to overcome, that he was trying to get out of, became splashed all over the place. And that's aside from his murder. In addition to his murder, that is the tragedy because his legacy has just been crucified.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And to have your voice out in the world to counter that.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's been hard. It's been tough,
2: yeah. <laughs> but
0: we are doing it.
2: Yeah. yeah. What I was thinking of saying earlier that has now re-entered my mind is one of the things I talk about when I'm talking about validating your book idea. Hmm. And I have several questions that I suggest someone ask themselves first. And one of them is... Is this something that you'd be excited to talk about for at least the next five years? (laughs) So clearly, you can check that box. But I just think this is a great moment to kind of pause and have our listeners absorb what you've just described, the level of passion that you have. It's not, you didn't just write a book, you started a crusade. And really, listeners, this is the attitude. (laughs) If you want people to read your book, if you want people to know about your book, if you want to change minds and change lives, what Carol's demonstrating is exactly the attitude that it takes. So I just want to, part of my job as host is to provide teaching moments. So there's your teaching moment for today. Really great, really great. Yeah, I mean, it was easy
0: to say, okay, we're going to research Bob Crane. He's Colonel Hogan and we love Hogan's Heroes. But I will say, we did not know what we were going to get back. Every time somebody agreed to an interview, I mean, we knew what his reputation was. We knew that, and for listeners who don't know, and I'll keep this very brief and very, you know, rated G, but, or PG maybe, yeah. but uh, Bob, Bob Crane was a sexual addict. He enjoyed a lot of sex. He liked to engage in amateur pornography with the consent of his female participants. It was always women. Again, not that it matters today, but people ask and they want to know, and it's no big deal. Robert Clary, when he wrote to us and said, who cares? Who cares what all that was? He wasn't Hurting anybody in the fact that. And I
1: think, yeah. And
0: another thing to point out is that they were adults. And they were adults, no (laughs) kids. I mean, Bob adored children. Bob, I mean, when people think that Bob was a pedophile, I mean, it just would destroy him today because he adored his kids. In fact, his kids were one of the driving forces that he, that was causing him or, or driving him to seek help to battle this addiction. He recognized it as an addiction he was seeking help for it. We talked to his counselor mm. and it wasn't something, I mean, you have to think of the time it's 1978. And so even today, I it's very hard for like people.
2: Diagnosis yet, right? It no, like-
0: it wasn't. It wasn't. He knew he had a problem. He knew he couldn't control it. And when I say that, I don't mean he's out drugging women like Bill Cosby or anything like that. He was on the road a lot. And so he's on the road and he goes to Chicago or Cleveland or Philadelphia or wherever. And there's beautiful women. And they all know him as Colonel Hogan. And all he has to do is say, do you want to? And Yeah. Okay. So it was consensual. And also in 1978, it's not like today where we all have our cameras on our phones. Everything back then was monstrous. I mean, it took up the whole living room, his camera equipment. So there was no secretly recording or secretly taking pictures. He wanted the women to enjoy the experience as much as he was. And so that being said, what it was causing harm to were his marriages. His first marriage ended because of it. His second marriage was on shaky ground, even though his second wife, who was Sigurd Valdez from Hogan's Heroes, played Plink's secretary, she knew what she was going in. She knew going in. But even so, there were some shaky problems in that marriage. They were splitting up. There were rumors that they were getting back together. They might have, but we'll never know. But both marriages suffered, And his career was suffering from it. He had lost roles. He had been contracted with Disney. He had done two Disney films, but Disney didn't like that sort of behavior. And so they canceled his contract. So it was costing him some work and he knew it. He knew everything was kind of on shaky ground there. So he was searching for a way to break free of that addiction. We don't go looking for addiction. Addiction kind of finds us if you're going to, whether it's alcohol, drugs, Sex, behavioral, food, all of these things, they serve as comfort. It doesn't mean that that it's in a good way, but that is a route to an underlying thing. And that's those are the things that he was seeking help for. And in 1978, it's not like today where Tiger Woods and David Duchovny who come out and say, I'm being treated for sexual addiction. And people say, great, we hope you get better. Oh, good. You got better. And we rally around you and we cheer for you. And we want you to be okay. And whether it's sex or drugs, alcohol, whatever, today, there's more of a rallying around people who accept and acknowledge those shortcomings, Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody in 1978 who is struggling. Those resources aren't as profound or available. That era. So we were not sure what we were going to get back. We were, we didn't know, but happily, most of what we got back, a good 90 to 95%, was he was not this awful person that the media, the movie have made him out to be. There were a couple people who just didn't care for him, but it wasn't because of him doing anything
2: horrifying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, tell us, because I know you do have a bigger sense of purpose around sharing uh, Bob Crane's story. So, tell us, what is that that drives you? Why is it important that we know his true story? Yeah, it's important because, number one, everybody deserves
0: their true story to be told. No matter what that story is, it's the truth. And facts and truth, that one person's truth and another person's truth isn't necessarily the truth. The truth is the whole coming together to provide a complete picture of whatever it is, whether it's a person, whether it's an event. History is full of the winner writes the history, but there's also another side to things as well. And so, to get many different sides of that, when we learned so much about Bob Crane that we had no idea about before, his tremendous career in radio. We're trying very hard to get him into the Radio Hall of Fame. We are to know that he invented what's known as sampling, which is just taking really? bits of, <laughs> yeah. What
2: all probably, the rappers it, use, what all the rappers It's, it's yeah. all, you know, <laughs> his show
0: was such that he wouldn't just say, here's this record and now the news and here's a commercial. He did this whole big show around everything. He would bring his drums into the studio and he would play along with the records and he would take the commercials. And he would call enhancing the commercials or he or messing with the commercials. And it was, you have to think about that. If you have a paying advertiser, they might not necessarily like their commercial <laughs> messed with. <laughs> and he learned, he learned over time how to do that to get people to listen. One of my favorite stories happened at WICC in Bridgeport, Connecticut, where he. There was a hoagie shop, a grinder shop, submarine shop, whatever part of the country you're in. You it's it's a hoagie, them, right? right? In Connecticut,
2: they call them grinders. I, I um, was going to say, you must be from Pennsylvania. I'm from me. Pennsylvania. I know. We call <laughs> them <own> hoagies. <laughs> so, There's a giveaway, Carol. A lot of a
0: hoagie. <laughs> it's a hoagie. A <laughs> wow, wow. So... There was an advertiser and it was from, and to keep with the Connecticut tradition, it was a grinder shop and they had these specialty sandwiches and they bought time during Bob's show. And so... Bob goes on the air and he's doing his morning, his show. He always did mornings and it's time now for the commercial and he, he's reading the copy and he's like, okay, go down to Sam's uh, grinder shop, you know, fourth and main. And they have all kinds of new ingredients in their sandwiches. You know, they got ham and cheese and mayonnaise and peppers and concrete and stones and bits of dirt and some grass and maybe a few rocks. And, and it's like the, the owner's listening of the sandwich shop and he's calling the general manager and he said... Get that guy off the air. Fire him. He's terrible. <laughs> he's ruining my business. What is he doing, you know? And so the general manager calls Bob in and he's like, you know, what are you doing? But at noon, the sandwich shop looks out and there's a line out the door, around the block, all the way up, because they wanted to know if it was really true, if they were putting in all of these you know, sticks and rocks and everything in their sandwiches. And so the sandwich owner calls back and says, yeah, cancel that order. I have never been so busy in all my life. And so- Those kinds of things. Bob did sound effects. He would do all of these different enhancements with the commercials, and he would make them all a part of the show. So something that he might have done at seven thirty in the morning suddenly would make an appearance again at eight fifteen. And if you listen to any of Bob Crane's air checks, and we have some of them up on our YouTube channel, and when you listen, these are all from nineteen fifties and sixties, and so you get Winston cigarette commercials, and he's got his announcer, quote unquote, or his engineer who he's saying, okay put the tape in, and he's putting it in, but then he plays it backwards. But the thing is, is it's all Bob's voice because Bob was known as radio's man of a thousand voices. Now, not to be mistaken for Mel Blanc or for anybody else who has used that man of a thousand voices, but KNX actually referred to him, KNX out in Los Angeles, where he was working from 1956 to 1965. They called him man of a thousand voices because he could impersonate anybody and he had thousands of voices that he could do it's funny because when he was on Hogan's Heroes and this is a bit of trivia for everyone when he was on Hogan's Heroes if you watch Hogan's Heroes and Bob as Hogan goes to do a German accent it is probably one of the worst German accents on the show. Richard Dawson could do a great accent, <laughs> Larry Hovis could do a great accent, Ivan Dixon, who Kinch could play, Yeah, he did an accent. But if when Hogan talked, what came out was like, oh my gosh, he's a dead giveaway. <laughs> this is not a German accent, It's not real. And so we asked, we asked the directors, Bob was known as K and X's man of a thousand voices. Why? Oh, why could he not get that German accent right? And Jerry London, in particular, one of the directors, laughed and said, well, we told him to do it poorly. We thought it would be funnier. Yeah, yeah. And so, a 1960s audience is going to think that's funny. But what that translates to in 2015, 2023, whatever year we we're at right here, where we're going back and we're watching and we're comparing and we're doing all this stuff that they never thought we would do, it sounds like you can't act.
2: And in reality,
0: he's doing as he was directed.
2: And that's the kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, I think is so true to the Hogan character. Like, why would Colonel Hogan bother to learn a good German accent? Oh, <laughs> well, that's a good take on it. Right? But he's so charming. like He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't need to, right? <laughs> charm anybody.
0: So true. But to go back to your question <laughs> as to why we're so passionate, those are the kinds of things that We get angry about actually, because we'll see on social media. Ah, look, there's his accent. You can't even do that. And so right away, Linda and I are, oh, wait, no, that's not it. Another thing, and I'll share this really quickly that gets us a little riled up, is there is this show called Celebrity Cooks. That is a Canadian show. It was taped in January of 1978, so just a few months Mm -hmm. before he was murdered, in autofocus. It is recreated because shortly after Bob's murder, there was a journalist, and I use that term lightly because he did Mm -hmm. not do any fact checking, who interviewed a CBS spokesman because the Celebrity Cooks show was going to begin airing in syndication in America. And when Bob was murdered, the CBS spokesman decided. That his episode was eerie and Bob only just talked about death and sex and all of these things. And he was crying and he broke down on the set and this whole thing. And so, this reporter for one of those magazines, I think it was Photoplay, just ran with it. And so, there's this whole article out there from July of 1978, and Autofocus reproduces it, recreates it in the movie, this whole big thing. Well, We wanted to talk to the people from Celebrity Cooks. So we actually talked to the owner and CEO. We talked to the stage manager. We talked to the talent agent. And we also talked to the set photographer. And every one of them was, they were absolutely horrified at how this half hour show had just taken on this life of itself because none of it happened. It's one of those weird things where We They say you can't prove a negative, but we did because it never happened. Every single one of them said we were there the set on the day of taping. He was one of our best guests. It aired in Canada during family time at least three or four times, but because of this one narrow person who could not provide any details, it took on a life of its own. So we get very protective. We get protective. And that's where some of that passion rises up.
2: Yeah. And though, Carol, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, again, this is a big lesson for everybody because this isn't just happening to Bob Crane, right? And this has become a bigger and bigger problem with the growth of social media, where one person says one thing about one person, there's no verification, there's no vetting of sources. There's no. I worked for the Washington Post while I was in college. I wasn't a reporter, but I was a news aide. And I knew the policies because I did some freelance writing for them, right? And if you said something dicey, you had to have at least two sources in addition to the one you're going to quote. You had to have at least two background sources to verify. And nothing hit the press if you couldn't. And that's something I really miss about the more analog style of and the slower <laughs> slower analog style of journalism but really it is so rampant nowadays mm-hmm. it is and that's just a really great clear example is that tape gone or is that we something- have
0: looked everywhere i mean none of the people from celebrity cooks had it you have to remember they're not keeping this stuff back then even Whoa. johnny carson's stuff got taped over from all the way back then to the 60s and so forth with the tonight show But there are clips of it that do exist. And we have seen some of the episode. And from what we have seen, he's just sitting there laughing. He's having a good time. He's enjoying the uh, host, Bruno Geruzzi, who has passed. uh, He's been gone a while. But they're having a good time. This was not... I mean, to put it into perspective, they taped three shows each back then. They taped three shows a day. Bob was the second of two of three. He was sandwiched in between Julia Child. So that was the caliber wow. of guests that they had on. I mean, they had <laughs> loads of guests on and they made chicken a la Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> so um, the chicken dish came out, not really cooked. And so they're sitting there and they're cutting it up and <laughs> says, I don't think this is done. You know, <laughs> and They're telling jokes. And there was the, yeah. the thing that came up was that they're all, oh, they're told, he's talking about jokes about cannibals or about death. And the joke
2: oh, that gosh. they
0: had was, and I'm going to get this wrong because I don't have it off the top of my head and Linda would remember it, but it's like, oh, I had my mother-in-law over for dinner and two cannibals are telling jokes. I had my mother-in-law over for dinner. Ha-ha, you know, right, and it's right, like that right, kind yeah. of 1970s well, goofy humor. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, but it just, it gets very frustrating. And I can't imagine how his family feels because we're not related. We're just, we are his... You know, I don't want to say spokesperson, but we tell his story because he is not here to do it for himself. But his family, over all of these years, having to go online, you can go online and you can see all of the murder crime scene photos and they're horrible they're horrific and now there's a morbid curiosity I, you know I think all of us to some extent have that because of the I mean look at just all the shows that you can watch on TV and I mean homicide hunter is a great show and I watch it too but there is a level of decency that's missing here and because of that I feel for his family I feel for his friends He's passed now. Bob's high school friends, his dear friend Charlie Zito, who I you know became really good friends with, they cared about him so much. And yet, when they would see all of this, Arlene Martell from Hogan's Heroes said she would watch Autofocus. She watched it for the first time and only time, like through her, like she was watching a train wreck through her fingers. It's telling. Think about the people that you know. Think about the people you work with. Think about your family. I know he's a celebrity and celebrities have a different public. They're more vulnerable to the attacks as being public figures. And so they, that comes with the territory, but then there's a line, that line gets crossed. And in this case for Bob, it, it did indeed get crossed.
2: Yeah. No kidding. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe I'm looking at the clock going, how did this happen? How did we get-? <laughs> the middle of the hour here? So, all right. I have to cut to our final question because my guitar teacher is going to be mad if I'm late for my lesson. <laughs> so, all right, so here we go, Carol. What have I not asked you that you would love to answer? Oh boy. Well,
0: what I would say is, is if I could go back in time to the kid who was at the library. I would say stick with it because you don't know what the future brings. I would never have imagined everything takes time. And one of the things that Bob Crane had said to his cousin, Jim, when Jim was trying to get ahead in radio, Bob was already out in KX. and Jim was a little impatient maybe to try and get to Bob's level is that things don't happen overnight and you have to be patient with yourself, and you have to be where you are right now for a reason. If I had dropped into, take for instance, today's interview, I don't think eight years ago, when we were doing just releasing the book, this interview would be much different. I have much more experience now talking. Linda always did because she's on the radio back in her other life in New Hampshire, but it's different. You have to be patient with yourself. You have to be patient with the process. You have to be patient with as things come together. And you have to be patient with others also who are, they're offering criticism, but it's constructive criticism. Nothing is a personal attack. So when Linda was marking up all my pages, and I'm saying, what are you doing? It's not a bad thing. It's all to come together to make that final thing as good. And I hate to say the word perfect, but as close to perfect as you can get it, that when you hold that up, you say, I am proud of what we've done. I'm proud of the subject we wrote about. And I'm proud to be where I am today, but it takes a while. It takes patience. And in today's world of instant gratification, it's a hard thing to do, but it's something that if you stick with it, it'll
2: pan out in That is sage advice and advice that would be well-heeded by any author or anyone who seeks to be an author. So once again, Carol, thank you for being with us on The Author's Corner. Thank you again so much, Robin. This was great. This was fun.
1: Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.